This is a big disease, a big problem. It affects millions of people, and we are not silent. The more people who stand up and say, I am a cancer survivor, and the more people who tell their story, the more power we have to demand change. Each individual has a unique experience and perspective to share, and seeing these stories reminds me that there is always a larger community that I belong to. Sometimes hearing the experiences of cancer survivors or their families is a double-edged sword. You don't want to hear that someone has been diagnosed. You don't want to hear that maybe someone has died. But to hear that story can be incredibly inspiring if the person lived and went on to live a healthy and fruitful life. That inspires me, and it inspires everyone around them. On the other hand, sometimes people don't make it, and those are the stories you hate to hear. But then again, sometimes it has such an effect on a family or community or school or workplace that it still makes a big difference. Although that person is no longer there, his or her influence goes on for years and years and years. It is my hope that these stories, along with those from survivors all over the world, are shared as my story has been. My own efforts, as well as those of the others who work for the LAF, are focused on making sure that the LAF is a voice for cancer survivors. We want cancer survivors and their families to reach out and let their voices be heard and to find information of the most personal and practical kind, from advice on how to tell your kids about cancer to the tools necessary to be an effective advocate for survivorship programs. This audiobook is just one chance to learn and listen, to hear and be heard. This audiobook is the voice of cancer survivors living strong. I am somebody with cancer, and I am somebody without cancer. Samantha Eisenstein I became a survivor when I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in December of 1999. I went down to New York for treatment and started in January of 2000. Treatment went through September of 2000 with seven rounds of high-dose chemo and surgery. The tumor was in my leg, in the tibia. I spent about four months at home afterward, September through December, recovering with physical therapy. I was a senior in college when I was diagnosed and only had one semester left. I went back to school in January of 2001 and was always tired, always bruising, and always catching everything that was going around. Because of the high-dose chemo that I got, I kept going in for tests, but the doctors just kept saying, Your bone marrow is tired. It'll start working. It's just working slowly. Finally, I went in for a bone marrow biopsy in April of 2001 and they found the secondary myelodysplastic syndrome, which is one of the precursors to leukemia. I said to them, if there is anything I can be doing from now until May when I graduate, I'll do it, but otherwise, leave me alone. I want to go back to school. I knew that the search for a bone marrow donor could be long and drawn out. They said that was fine. So I went back and graduated from college in May of 2001. I started chemo again in June or July to get the disease back into remission because it had started to progress. I was home for a couple of weeks, and they found a perfect donor match for me. 
All they told me was that he was young and male. I found out later he's from St. Louis, but I haven't met him yet. I underwent the bone marrow transplant in August of 2001, was in the hospital for three months, spent the nine months afterward going in for tests and medications and anti-rejection and anti-everything drugs. And finally, in June of 2002, they said, Okay, you're set. Go do your thing. So I went up to graduate school at Middlebury College for the summer and moved to Boston in September of 2002. I started working for a public health education nonprofit where we do mostly HIV prevention research and interventions and violence prevention. Then last year, I went to the I'm Too Young for This symposium that was held at MIT. It was the first time I even found out that there were other young adult survivors, because in a hospital like the one I was treated in, sadly, nobody ever really left. All of my friends had passed away. I didn't have any people that I went through the treatment with who made it long enough to go through the survivorship journey with me. Since I finished, I had been struggling with my appearance and scars, all the issues that are not the day-to-day -day chemo stuff and therefore didn't feel legitimate. But I went to that conference and saw that there was a whole community of people like me out there. The keynote speaker talked about how he gets approached by so many survivors who say, I need to quit my job. I don't know what I want to do, but this is where I want to be. And I realized that's exactly how I felt. So my friend Bridget and I started talking about organizing a benefit concert for young adult survivors to help them transition out of treatment and into the real world. We started doing research and found that there aren't any organizations designed to provide educational scholarships, professional training, and advice on rent, loans, car payments, grocery, and residual medical bills for young adult survivors. But instead of being discouraged and giving up completely, we gave up the idea of the benefit concert and just decided to go full steam ahead and create our own organization. It's called Surviving and Moving Forward. It's called the SAM Fund for Young Adult Survivors of Cancer. I feel uncomfortable saying, I'm Sam and this is the SAM Fund, because though it did start obviously from my own story and experiences, the acronym comes from Surviving and Moving Forward. We want to help people who are no longer receiving treatment and feel abandoned. When I was going through the treatment, all the doctors and nurses were focused on getting me back to the day when they would tell me that I didn't have to come back anymore. Obviously, that's a huge and important day, but then I felt that people sort of forgot about me. Being a young adult who had to go out and fend for myself and decide either to go back to school or not or to get a job and start paying rent was incredibly overwhelming. It's just hard. It's hard for anybody right out of college. But then you add $20,000 in medical bills to it, and it makes it even harder. And so what we decided to do was create an organization 
just to provide financial assistance in that transitional time. So that's what I've been doing for the last nine months. It's been the best thing in my own cancer journey because it's given me a way to reclaim control over the whole thing, to have cancer in my life because I chose to put it there, not the other way around. It's been really empowering and really exciting. I've met some amazing people. We've already started partnering with other organizations. We've done some fundraising. We're working on a whole bunch of stuff. I'm actually about to go part-time at my day job so that I can run the fund two days a week. I hope to make it full-time eventually. It's been interesting to see how all of the pieces are now coming into place. I have this incredible energy and excitement to get this fund off the ground and hand out the first check to a survivor who needs it. For that, I am very grateful. I just decided I'm going to start an MBA program for people involved with organizations or who want to be involved with organizations with a good social mission. Cancer isn't who I am, but it is where I've been. It's a part of who I am. And to now be able to incorporate that into a career and into a positive presence in my life makes me feel grateful. I monitored long-term by an endocrinologist. When I saw him for the first time, his nurses sat with me, listed all of the drugs I had been on, many I had forgotten about, and said, here's the risk of this disease. Here's the risk of this recurrence. You're at elevated risk for this. There's a good chance you're going to get this. I could have heart problems, kidney problems, liver problems, thyroid.